This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Roz Taylor. 70 years ago, on 31st of January 1953, a windstorm combined with a high spring tide led to what became known as the North Sea Flood. 1,800 people drowned in the Netherlands and 307 East Anglians died. That was a freak event, but as downpours become more intense and sea levels rise, flooding is becoming more common around the world and Britain will be no exception. Do we understand what's about to hit us? Joining me is Hannah Cloak, who's Professor of Hydrology at the University of Reading. Welcome to the bunker, Hannah. Hi, it's lovely to be here. Hannah, was there any warning of the North Sea flood? Did people know that it was coming? Most people didn't have any warning at all, and they were really greatly surprised. It it was really seconds, and they were climbing out their windows and, and climbing onto their roof. There were weather warnings, so we did have a weather forecast at that time, but it just couldn't reach the people who needed it. Could that loss of life happen today or would people have time to evacuate? So we've actually seen some big surges since that time. So there was a storm surge in 2013 when we had the same type of event, the same uh, flood wave coming in from the sea. And we did have warnings there and they did get to the people who need them well in advance, about a week in advance. In fact, we had some good information uh, that the, the, the sea was going to be that high and the, this flood wave was coming in. So flood warnings save lives, but of course they don't save property. What effect does it have on your house when it's flooded? Talk us through it, because it's not just the water coming in and the water going out again, is it? No, when people think about flooding, they think of some nice crystal clear water kind of sweeping in gently and then sweeping out again. Uh, But the reality of flooding is much different. It will have debris in it. It will pick up things. It can even pick up cows and cars. Uh, It's got so much power. And it can smash through walls and it leaves behind real dirt and silt and disgusting stuff as well. So the reality of being flooded is, is really quite terrible. And I imagine it affects the electrics as well. Yeah, if your house is not flood resilient and you haven't put these special things in your house, like raising up electricity sockets or changing your flooring so you can sweep out the flood water, it just ruins everything. You know, it takes away all of your precious things, your your photo albums, uh, you know, the sofa that you've saved up for, for several years to get. All of your possessions can be completely swept away by a flood. So where are the flooding hotspots in Britain at the moment? So it's really important to notice, actually, that uh, most places in Britain can flood. So we have lots of different types of flood. We can have these floods that come in from the sea, from the ocean, uh, can sweep all around our coastal zones. And and most of our coast is vulnerable to that kind of flooding. Uh, We can also have our rivers flooding. So our our catchments fill up with rainfall and they will break their banks, the rivers, and flood over uh, our towns and our cities that way. But we can also have these floods from really heavy rainfall. And it's this type of flood that actually takes people by surprise still, even now. 
Uh, so our cities, we've seen uh, London even last year, uh, suffered from this type of rainfall, really heavy rainfall, getting down into people's basements, overwhelming the drainage system and causing an, an awful amount of damage. Yes, I live nowhere near a river and nowhere near the sea, but we were still flooded last year, which really took me aback. I didn't realise how easy it was for the rainwater just to sweep in. And especially over built up areas, isn't it? It's where there's nowhere for the rainfall to sink into. That's right. So if it's paved, if we've got concrete, we've got roads, the rain just rushes straight off onto those drainage systems and they're at capacity and they back up and they go into people's houses. And it's just this type of rainstorm that actually we think is going to get worse with climate change as well. We're going to see these heavier rainstorms, particularly in summer, this kind of thunderstorm, really intense downpour. It's these ones we're really worried about. Are there areas in Britain where you feel people simply just should not be building at this point, but perhaps they are? So we still see lots of development on what are technically floodplains. So we know that if a big flood came along, we would see those houses go underwater. And some of those are redevelopments, so places where people are already living at risk of flooding. And also at our coast where we've got these very low-lying lands, uh, the Somerset Levels is a classic case. How long can we continue to protect the Somerset levels from flooding? It is effectively the sea that's been drained. Uh, and as we've got rising sea levels and the climate is changing, you know, we really have to think about are these the types of places that we might need to retreat from in the future? It's a really difficult question. And it's not just the Somerset levels, is it? Because a surprising amount of English land is reclaimed from the sea, essentially, in, in Kent um, and in East Anglia. And it wouldn't have been habitable in the same way in the past, would it? No, we have reclaimed lots of land. And that's, you know, that's because we've been quite clever, actually. And we, we've worked out how to drain the land and use the land. But it does require continued protection to keep that going. And it is a really bit of a balance to, to, to work out what we can keep, what we, what's worth protecting, and what with changing climate we're going to have to retreat from. Certainly, if we just have the sea level rising, and we have no flood defences anywhere in the country, we'd see a lot of our land underwater particularly most of central London, right, would be completely underwater. But luckily, we have these defences in place, at least for now, uh, for at least the next few decades, we can be sure that, that we are protected from these very bad floods, uh, the result somewhat from just, you know, storms coming through, but also because we have this change in climate. Looking to the long term future, we do really have to think about which, which places in the, the country we can still live in. So why are we still building on floodplains at all? Is it cheaper there? What's the logic for doing that? Is it simply because there's so much pressure on land in England in particular? So those areas that are at the greatest risk of flooding, definitely we're not building on. There are regulations in place that say we can't build there. And that's absolutely right. But it's those places that where we have the risk of a very large flood, a very rare flood, but one that might come along, we're still building on some of those areas. And that's because we have a great pressure on the land. We have a great pressure for housing. Uh, also, these places are very beautiful. Today, it's been very sunny and I've been down to the River Thames and it's lovely down by the river. People like to live by the water. So it's very difficult to reconcile a river when it's very beautiful and sunny and sparkling and the reality of a flood coming through um, a monster of a river coming and damaging your property and taking away your home. What effect do you expect the rise in sea levels that we're going to see to have? Because that's a different thing altogether, isn't it? We've talked about storms, uh, rainfall, 
but the rise in sea levels will also have an effect. What kind of things uh, will be affected in in Britain if we see a rise in sea in, in uh, sea levels of a few meters? So when we think of a rising sea level, people tend to think of a very slowly rising sea, just nice and gentle, you know, just rising up a few centimetres. But it's this, uh, the wind and the waves of the storm combined with that rise that creates this massive problem that we're walking into. That ability to overwhelm our coastal defences, our flood defences, Thinking about planning long term for London, we're going to need a new Thames barrier because uh, the one we have now is is not going to be any good anymore. We need to think about that into the future. And there is this risk of a very substantial rise. It's very unlikely at this point. But if we do think about climate tipping points, maybe if we get a sudden melting of an ice sheet that could produce a shock in sea level rise that would overwhelm some of our defences. Should the government be preparing people for these kind of outcomes? Do you do you think that people are sufficiently aware of what could happen? I think we've seen over the last couple of years that people are always surprised when it floods, even if there are flood warnings out, even if we tell people that this place is actually falling into the sea uh, and we need to, to really retreat from this landscape and change the way we're living. Those messages don't get through. It's, it's very difficult to live at risk of a flood that you've never seen. People don't have the imagination to grip onto something that's going to come and be dangerous in, in terms of flood water sweeping away their homes uh, and being a risk to their family. So certainly there's a role for the government to help people understand that risk, uh, but also to have some practical steps to move to a place where where it is safer or change the way they're living so that they're prepared for these floods, perhaps to come into their house, but learn to live with those floods. So sweep out the flood water after it's flooded and, and keep your electricity high, those kinds of things. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. There are quite a lot of flood defences now, and of course, towns that are badly affected by flooding campaign hard for those defences. Is that money always well spent? It's really important to have the right defences in the right place. Uh, there's never enough money to protect everywhere. So the reality is we have to learn to live with floods a bit better. And if your home is one of the homes that is not protected by flood defences at the moment, that can seem very unfair indeed. But if we look at the whole of the country, actually stepping towards learning to live with floods, using more natural flood management and away from these very hard defences, which are expensive and can be unreliable. So they can be overtopped because we get bigger floods coming through, particularly if they're not designed for climate change. It's these things that I think we need to think about more in the future. It's impossible to protect everyone everywhere all the time from flooding that's just not possible to do so changing the mindset to learning to live with floods is really important which towns do you worry about most i mean i grew up near shrewsbury which is in recent years been flooded pretty much annually really badly and i wonder how much longer people are going to stay there are there other places that perhaps tewksbury and 
places like that, that, that you, you do worry about their future, given the patterns that we're seeing? So the big rivers that we have in the UK have always flooded. So we have seen flood markers going back centuries. So we know that these big rivers flood regularly. Um, where we see certain places flooding more often, it means maybe we've made some bad choices, perhaps elsewhere in the catchment. Perhaps we've cut down some trees we really didn't need to cut down. Or we've urbanised our landscape. So we've made everything concrete so that water is running off more quickly, making that flood wave much higher, which means more damage is happening. So all of our rivers, we should expect to flood. So it really is learning to live with the floods in that sense. But there are places, particularly where we've got coastal areas combined with river flooding. So you're kind of getting flooded from two sides at once. And it's those places that really might suffer in the future. Is this an example of something where people just will not act until it's too late? I'm thinking in particular of the very difficult situation some people living in Norfolk find themselves in where they know that the sea is coming and they can literally see chunks of the cliff falling off and they're getting closer and closer to the edge. And yet they cannot, for quite understandable reasons, bring themselves to leave the place where they've lived and that they're so attached to. Is this a real problem when it comes to flooding? We see all around the world, you know, people don't want to leave their homes. I mean, it's not surprising. I would not like to leave my home. It's the place where I have my family, where I have all my possessions, where I feel safe. Uh, And to make your home seem unsafe by admitting that it might be at risk, uh, it might be a dangerous place to be, that's a big step for people. Uh, So there's a lot of things that we can do to help people understand that risk, visualise that risk, and also provide practical support so that they can move away. It's not just like expecting people to decide one day that they're going to move away from a house that's not worth very much uh, and just set up camp somewhere else. That's absolutely impossible, isn't it? So so we need to provide the practical support to help them as well. But this visualisation of the fact that, that a giant flood might be coming that's something that's really interesting and quite difficult to do. Uh, we have school children in Japan with kind of VR headsets trying to imagine uh, flooding and, and tsunami and things like that. That's one way to do it. Uh, another way is is to talk about it with stories, uh, maybe plays and, and all kinds of different access to the arts to try and get people to understand in a different way because just telling them your house is at risk, you know, you're going to have to move, that just doesn't do the job. The insurance industry plays a part in this, doesn't it? Because obviously the level of premiums dictates whether people will move to a place. I mean, if they can't get insurance, then it's very difficult to sell their home and it's, it's much more difficult for them to live there. What should the insurance industry do? Should it be taking perhaps a more proactive role? What, what would you like to see them do? So I think the setting up of flood re has been really important for the insurance industry. It's allowed them to see that there are other things that they can do, um, not just refusing insurance. Uh, and that's a, you know, a really important scheme from the government to underwrite um, insurance companies so that they can provide this support for people at flood risk. It's important to think about what's going to happen in the future when that, that scheme changes um, and also for the insurance companies to come on board um, and really get to grips with the fact that, that they can do things differently and spread spread that risk around. Tell us a bit more about flood free because people may not know what it is. 
it's a government-supported scheme to help insurers uh, insure those people at risk, uh, because obviously there's a lot of risk that insurance companies aren't really interested in taking on. So it's about sharing that around and supporting everyone. It's not fair on those people who live by the river to not be able to access that flood insurance. Um, normally, it's not their fault at all that they they bought into this house um, thinking that it was a safe place to live. Uh, and so we've got this legacy housing stock on the floodplain. Um, and it's about making sure that uh, insurers are able to offer flood insurance at an affordable price uh, to those people at flood risk. After all that, it's possible to feel a bit helpless. Is there anything practical that people and maybe councils can do, perhaps avoiding plastic lawns, for example, more planting? What kinds of things should we be doing to try to minimise the risk of a flooding? There's lots of things we can do to help minimise flooding and also minimise the damage from flooding. And it is things that we can do in the catchment so we can catch more rain in uh, on the surface. So having lawns and not plastic lawns uh, so the rain can soak in, uh, keeping as much of our uplands kind of forested where we can and also not paving over landscapes so that the water runs straight to the river and we get these very high flood waves. So we're just slowing the water down wherever we can, catching it where we can. And that has an added benefit for drought as well. So we have the water in the summer when we need it. Hannah, that's been fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure to be here. And if you'd like to support us, you can do so by searching Patreon Bunker Podcast and help keep us going. I'm Ros Taylor and thanks for listening. The Bunker Daily was presented by Ross Taylor. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, with additional production from Jack Gerbertson, Kasia Tomashevich, and me, Alex Reese. Our marketing manager was Gina Richard. Music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>